medical test on Monday. Uh, everything's fine, all is well, uh, but I was supposed to do them when I turned 50. I'll turn 56 next week. Now for a man, that's not too bad. Six years late to go to the doctor, that's about right, I would think. We just don't like doing it. We don't particularly like going to the doctor. And some of us could be described as mule-headed. Now I'm referring to men in the room, not women. Please understand. <laughs> we can't be mule-headed. I remember my father saying to me, don't be mule-headed when you wouldn't do what you should do. You ever heard that phrase, don't be mule-headed? Some of you had it spoken to you. We can be stubborn people, can't we? Uh, God tells us how to live, and very often we do the opposite of what he has told us to do. In my own family, extended, but in my own family, there have been children born out of wedlock, and there have been alcoholics, and there's been drug abuse. I even have a distant cousin who robbed a bank in the 1970s. So all of us mess up, and we all come from families that mess up, and we're in a world that's messed up. Romans 3.23 tells us something we all know. All that sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we're all in the same boat if we would admit it. Today we're going to look in just a minute at Psalms 32. It was written by David, and you know David. You know David is chosen by God as the king of Israel and the shepherd boy that killed Goliath and the man after God's own heart, but you also know him as an adulterer and a schemer and a murderer. Same man. Sometimes he listened and other times he was mule-headed. This psalm is known as one of the seven psalms of forgiveness that David wrote. The other psalms of forgiveness will all of us have 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. This one's pretty special. You've heard of St. Augustine. Uh, this was St. Augustine's favorite section of Scripture. In his dying days, he had Psalm 32 that we'll read in a minute. He had it written on the wall of the room that he stayed in so he could read it constantly or have people read it to him constantly. Let's see why it's so special. Before we read it, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask as you instructed these words to be written that you would instruct us to hear them correctly and properly. Bless us as we look and listen to your word and Father, speak to our hearts. Father, we all have sinned, we've all fallen short, but we thank you for your plan. If we would listen, help us to listen. In Jesus' name. So let's read Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. 
All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. A lot of lessons in Psalm 32 and how to improve our lives and be who God wanted us to be. But we're going to look at three lessons that kind of pop out at me. The three lessons from Psalm 32 are look up, listen up, and then live it up. First, look up. You've heard this story in various forms, and I've tried to check and see if it was true, but it sounds like it could be. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle sent letters to many of his friends in London once upon a time. And in the letter it said, all has been found out. Everyone knows what you have done. Supposedly, everyone who received the telegram left town. <laughs> Every one of them. Because there was some kind of a skeleton there, something wrong in their life. David is telling us in the first part of Psalm 32 that we're all guilty and the only relief is to look to God for forgiveness. He knows anyway what we've done. He's just waiting for us to confess it. Gordon MacDonald wrote this. He said, We cannot expect to live healthily in the future when the baggage of the past keeps banging away at the trapdoor of our minds demanding attention. Let me read it again. We cannot expect to live healthily in the future when the baggage of our past keeps banging away at the trapdoor of our minds demanding attention. You've seen that happen. Maybe you've lived that with unconfessed sin, but people need the freedom of what David's telling us to do. David needed to look up to God. St. Augustine needed to look up to God. And all of us here need to do this as well. When we don't look up, we're in trouble. And verse 3 describes that. David said, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Thank God that there is a way out. Verse 5. Finally, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide myself, hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. It is my prayer that all of us here have looked up to God and confessed our sins, and Jesus has declared us not guilty because we've trusted him. We all need to look up. All of us. Next, and this is sometimes where we can be a little new. We need to listen up to what God is telling us to do. Verse 8 says it so very well. The Lord says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. 
in the new Revised Standard Version, it says it this way, I'll instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. When we don't listen, we're in trouble. And God is always there to teach us, but sometimes we don't listen. Verse 9 describes those that don't listen. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit to bridle and bridle to keep it under control. We all have our stories, don't we? We all have our stories of being like a senseless horse or mule. But from Genesis to Revelation, God tells us how to live, teaching us for our good to goof-proof our lives, teaching us on family and finances and forgiveness and worry and you name it, but we can be so Colossians, the first part of verse 16 in chapter 3, says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God wants to teach us. We have to listen. Just an example that I wasn't going to use, but I'm going to. Todd and Laura are getting married two weeks from yesterday. A big wedding coming up, and I'm excited for them, and I think they're going to be great as husband and wife for the rest of their days. But I remind them as we've talked together, it's important for them to listen to what God says about marriage. Is that fair to say? It's important for me to listen to what God says to husbands about how to treat their wives. God knows what he's talking about. And if I would follow him all of the time, it would be a much improved situation. Not that it's that bad, but sometimes, believe it or not, I can be a little mule. Sometimes uh, we have to listen. God has teaching for us on everything. Charlie, my friend from Indiana, and I were talking with Taylor last night about finances and about Dave Ramsey's ministry and how improved our lives have been and how we wish we would have listened long, long ago to that counsel and that teaching that comes from Scripture. We have to listen to what God says. Last Sunday, when Foley gave his testimony, I had no idea. If you're not, if you weren't with us last Sunday, find me after church and I'll tell you what this is about. But it was amazing the story that he told us about growing up. And I was just shocked. I had no idea. But what I really loved that he said was the day when his mother came to see him and tried to get him to come back. And he had to choose to forgive his mother for what she had done to him. And he said, some would have understood had I not chosen to forgive because she pretty much robbed him of his childhood. But he said he chose to forgive her. And remember what he said, how the freedom hit his life and how the joy hit his life when he chose to do that? Remember him saying that? I thought about Matthew 6, 14 to 15 when he talked about if you forgive others for their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Foley made the right choice. The only choice, a difficult choice, but the choice that God instructed. He looked up and he listened up. Finally, live it up. Live it up. Look at verse 11. For all of us whose sins have been forgiven whose direction has been secured because we've listened to God. Verse 11 says, So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, 
all of you who obey him. Shout for joy, all of you whose hearts are pure. We should be a thankful people. That God cares enough about us to forgive us of those sins that we confess, that he's known about anyway. To not give up on us, and to give us direction for the rest of our days. It's an amazing transformation that David made from verse 3 to verse 11. Remember verse 3? When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. A horrible situation. To verse 11, So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him shout for joy, whose hearts are pure. Groaning and wasting away to rejoice. That's our journey that Psalms 32 describes. That's what God does for David, for Augustine, for all who call on his name. So be thankful. Look up.